Welcome to the Ark Church Podcast. On here, you'll find all of our Sunday and Wednesday messages, as well as classes and special services. If you would like more information about the Ark Church, visit us at thearkchurch.com or download our app available to all app stores. Our heart for you is that you would live for God, grow stronger, and make a difference. Enjoy. For the next few weeks, I want to talk about a topic that touches all of our lives, regardless of your background or age or gender or vocation or what you do. It's something that we want for our children. It's something we want more of in our life. And it's something that has an impact on our life in, in very different respects. It even has an impact on our relationship with God. What I'm talking about this morning is confidence. You say, well, in confidence, that, that's a, isn't that kind of a touchy-feely motivational thing? No, that's actually a Bible word. And uh, it, it's actually something that plays a large part in our walk not just with the Lord, but our walk in life. And so we want to be able to understand how do we have confidence? How do we keep confidence? How in confidence, what role does it play? They're starting to do a, a lot more studies now. We used to tell people, hey, just believe in yourself. Be confident. Stand up straight. Put your chest out. Act like you're, you got it going on. Fake it till you make it. And, you know, I've, I've said some of those things myself, but those don't necessarily bring confidence. So we want to talk about some of the things that can bring confidence in our life and, and talk about our confidence and, and our confidence in the relationship with the Lord. We want to talk about those things as well. Now, I, I like what someone said. He's, a, he's an author. He's an uh, Olympic runner. He's a coach. He works with, with elite athletes. He said confidence is a filter and it, it tints Everything that we see in life, it can tip the scales toward being optimistic or pessimistic about our current situation. He says when our confidence is high, it expands our ability to act, to manage, and to navigate some of the challenges that we're facing in life. So we want confidence. We want our, we want our kids to have it. We need more of it. I don't think anyone will say, you know what, I don't need any more confidence. We all need. And so we want to talk about that. We'll talk about that for the next few weeks. There are different places that people put confidence. I think the very first place that we put confidence is you hear people say, you've you got to be confident in yourself. You've got to have some self-confidence. You know, I think sometimes Christians have a problem with that. They're like, well, I shouldn't have any confidence. And you need to have some confidence in yourself. There was a girl who was in her art class at school. and She was drawing and her teacher came and looked over her shoulder and said, what are you drawing? She said, well, I'm drawing Jonah and he's, been, he's in the belly of this, of this whale. And the teacher sneered. She said, oh. She said, that, that Bible myth. She said, uh, there's no way a man could live in the, in the, in the belly of a whale. How, how is that even possible? And the little girl looked up and she smiled. She said, well, it's in the Bible and I believe it. And when I get to heaven, I'll ask him. <laughs> and uh, her teacher sneered again. She said, well, what if he's not there? The little girl smiled. She said, then you can ask you. <laughs> we want confident children. There's confidence that we can place in other people or in institutions. In America right now, we're, we're suffering a crisis of confidence in some of the big institutions. Some, many people have lost confidence in government, have lost confidence in business. You hear people talking about, I've lost confidence in the church. So we can put our confidence, our belief, our trust in, in other people and other things. I recently read where our Texans quarterback, you have to understand, guys, I'm a, I'm a homer. I pull for the home team. Our quarterback, 
our second year quarterback said, we are ready this year to shock the world. We're going to shock the world this fall. Talking about the Texans. He said, we're going to shock the world this fall. He said, I have full confidence in this team and what they're able to do. I don't have that confidence. <laughs> ESPN said, we, we have the worst team in the entire league. I think it, I have confidence that we're going to get a good draft pick out of this year is what I have confidence in. But you, you want your quarterback to express that. And listen, if I'm wrong, I will publicly apologize. If they shock the world, I will come back and go, I am so wrong, but I'm not banking on that. But you, could, you can put confidence in, in people. You can put confidence in government and in, in church. But you can also have confidence in God. And having confidence in God maybe is a concept that you're not familiar with or aware of or, or maybe it's something you used to have in your life. Confidence. The Bible said it, it can be actually discarded. You can throw it away. So we know confidence can be high, can be low. The, the Bible says we can actually get rid of it, which is what we don't want to do. Hebrews, he's writing to some Christians who are going through some difficult times. He says, therefore, do not cast away. That, that means throw it away. Throw away your confidence. It has a great reward. And the, the, the picture here, the element here is that confidence, if, if we hold on to it, it pays off. We know that we need it. And so if we know that we need it, we have a choice. We can choose. We're going to hold on to our confidence. And that's something we want to do all throughout our life is hold on to our confidence in God and ourselves and others. But we definitely want to hold on to our confidence in God. One of the best examples, and many of you have heard me tell this before, but it's just a perfect picture of confidence and what it can do. When I was 12 years old, I, I grew up in North Carolina. I entered the Junior Olympic. There was a regional Junior Olympic track meet in the city of Raleigh. That's the capital of North Carolina. And so my, my father and my sister and I went down to Raleigh. They had a really neat track. And, and uh, I was running in the boys 11 and 12 division. And at that time, we ran 100-yard dash. We ran the 100-yard. And so I ran in that division. I was 12 years old. I won the 100-yard dash. I won the 220-yard dash. I won the long jump. And I mean, I'm having a day. This is my day. If I'd known that it was going to be the entire high watermark of my entire athletic career, I might have made me depressed. But I was, man, I was having this great day. I was winning. It was obvious I was the fastest guy out there in my age group. Three guys approached me. and They said, hey, we got three of us. We're going to run in the relay. Would you run the, the 440 relay with us? And I said, sure, as long as I get the baton last. It's a little cocky. And they said, oh, yeah, we're going to give it to you last. And with three guys I didn't know, we won that race, too. I walked out of there on cloud nine. Man, I had four blue ribbons. I walked out of there going, I am the man. <laughs> Two weeks later, I go to the state junior Olympic track meet in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. I jogged down to the track. That's when we used to wear those little short, I, that's too much information, I realize it. But we, man, I jogged down there and I went up to a guy, lanyard, clipboard. I said, sir, where's the boys 11 and 1200 yard dash? He never looked up. He said, we don't have boys 11 and 1200 yard dash. He said, we have boys 12 and 13 and they're down there. I looked down there and I'm like, no, he's lying. Cause there was gorillas down there. These guys were, these guys were huge and they were, they were hairy. And I'm like, what is up with that? So I 
my confidence immediately took a, took a, a shot. I'm like, uh-oh. Because how many of you know there can be a huge difference between a boy who's 12, not yet 13, and a boy who's 13, about to turn 14? So I, I jogged down there, and I mean, these guys are huge. I'm like, oh, no. I mean, you thought, Alan, why didn't you just rise up and go, I can do this? Well, that's great, but I was intimidated. Because when we lined up on the starting line, I just remember, I can, this is still just planted in my memory. There's hairy legs up and down the starting line. <laughs> And I've got my little, I got I had two hairs on one ankle that I was very proud of. And I'm looking down there and all these guys, they sounded like Barry White. You know who Barry White is? They're, they're like, good luck, bro. Good luck, good luck, good luck. I'm like, good luck, I'm a good. The joys of puberty had not landed on me yet. And before they fired that gun, I was a defeated man. I was beaten. In fact, they took off so fast, I ran the worst time I'd ever run in the 100-yard dash in terms of, you know, within that time span. I'm the same guy. We're talking about two weeks. Two weeks I went from being the man to being the last guy on the track. In fact, someone said, oh, someone's still running, and they got out of my way so I could finish the race. It was a horrible day. I looked at my dad and go, I'm done. I'm not, I'm not entering anything more. My confidence took a hit. Say, so what was the difference? Was it physical? No. Confidence high, tearing them up. Confidence low, just <laughs> getting crushed. But you say, well, what's that got to do with God? Well, it's got a lot to do with God. Because when you have confidence that God will hear you when you pray, if you have confidence that God will help you, that he'll never abandon you, that he will, he, would, he will be there, he will comfort you when you're down, he will help you get up, he will strengthen you, he will forgive you, he will do so many things for you, he loves you, he is good to you. When you got confidence in that, then when any hairy leg problem comes up, you're like, I got you, I got you, because I'm not standing by myself. I've got a God on my side, and I have confidence because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Makes all the difference in the world. But here's the thing. Your confidence can take a hit, especially when something happens to you that you do not understand. Your confidence in God. When something has happened in your life, usually a loss, usually something traumatic, and you don't understand it, and it, it, it ebbs your confidence in God. So I want to talk about that this morning. How do we keep it? How do we, how, do we, how do we get our confidence back? The disciples had a, a, a crisis of confidence. When Jesus, after he fed the multitudes, he fed, he fed five, remember when he fed 5,000 with five uh, barley loaves and two fish? He fed over 5,000 people. It was a miracle. People were so excited. And they followed Jesus to the next town. And when they followed him, they were going to make him a king. They were so excited because this was, a, this was a whole culture that lived around trying to get food. And now Jesus had just fed them and there was leftovers and everybody was filled and they're like, he's the king. He's the... And Jesus began to talk to him and he did one of his most famous sermons. He did the famous eat my flesh, drink my blood sermon. This did not go over well at all. He begins to talk about, he said, you know, you guys ate of this bread he said, this, this is temporary bread. He said, but God gives you the true bread that comes down from heaven. He said, he said I am the bread of life. He said, and he who eats me. And then they're like, uh-oh. What, what? So his disciples begin to, 
to, they begin to kind of argue among themselves. Eat the bread of life? What? That's kind of hard. They begin to complain. You think when Jesus would back up, he didn't. He doubled down. He said, you had to eat my flesh and drink my blood. They're like, oh no, oh no. That just doesn't work at all. And what they thought was they, they took his words and they took it at face value. And Jesus wasn't talking about eating his actual flesh and his blood. He was talking about the sacrifice that he would give. His flesh would be crucified. He would pour out his blood for the forgiveness of sins. And you had to be able to partake of that. That's, and we do that by faith, not by actual eating. But the disciples, they begin to grumble. This, this kind of went through the camp. They did not understand this. Let's look what happens in John. As a living father, this is Jesus speaking. He said, as the living father sent me and I live because of the father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread, talking about himself, will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? And when Jesus knew it himself that his disciples complained about this, he said, does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. And from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked, no more, walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus preached a message that no one understood. And he was, he was preaching this message on, eat my flesh and you have to partake of me. The people begin to argue and they begin to complain. They begin to say, no, 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 this is hard. I mean, we've, we've followed you to this point, Jesus, but this is hard. And we don't understand this. They were offended. And Jesus, because they took his words at face value, and Jesus tried to explain it to him. He said, this is, guys, this is not on a flesh level. The flesh profits nothing. This is on a higher level. The words I speak to you, they are spiritual words. This is spiritual truth and spiritual life. But because they could not receive that, and because they didn't understand it, the Bible said many went back. I, I, actually, that word means they went to the back. So you had disciples. You guys, do you understand there was more than just 12 disciples? There was a whole group of people that followed Jesus. He wasn't talking about the multitudes. He was talking about people who had walked with him, people who had followed him, people who were close to him. And they were close. And when they heard that, they didn't understand that this was hard. They couldn't get it. And they went to the back. They were close. Now they've gone to the back and they didn't walk with him anymore. And these were not the multitudes, guys. These were disciples. These were the ones who had been following him closely. Jesus' response was interesting. Jesus did not respond in anger, nor did he criticize the ones who walked away. Jesus didn't go, you guys are stupid. Can't you understand I'm talking about something spiritual? Can't you get this? I've done all these miracles. He didn't respond that way. He didn't criticize them. He wasn't angry about them. But neither, neither did he apologize or restate what he'd said, or follow after them to try to get them to come back. In fact, Jesus looked over at his 12 and go, you guys going too? Which implies this. There's always a choice with God. God never forces. He gives a choice. 
So now the 12, they don't understand it either. But Peter's response is great. Peter, I got to love Peter. Peter is so hit and miss. Sometimes he is so right on. Sometimes he is left field, man. He's, he's, man. He opens his mouth a lot and puts his foot in it, but this time he got it right. When Jesus said, where are you going to go? Peter's response was perfect. He said, where are we going, Lord? Who, who are we going to go to? You have the words of eternal life. Good answer, Peter. And then he said this, and we've come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. When you don't understand, and I'm sure Peter didn't understand everything, Peter stands up and goes, we ain't going anywhere. You're the man. And you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. What do you do when you don't understand everything? And let me be very honest with you guys. This is something, if you've walked with the Lord for any length of time, you have hit this. Maybe it's the loss of a loved one that you were praying for. Maybe it's a child that's walked away from the Lord. Maybe it's to have a loss or, or someone that in, in your relationship and it just went sour and you never expected it. You didn't get the job that you wanted. You didn't get in the school that you wanted. Things did not turn out exactly and you don't understand. What do you do when you don't understand? And that's so important. Because in life, if we're going to have a confidence in God, we've got to be able to hold on to our confidence in God and not throw it away. So here's some things that will help us. Here's what helps us keep our confidence when we don't understand. You say, well, Alan, you don't understand what I've been through. You're right. But you don't understand what I've been through either. I lost a 17-year-old, my only nephew. Only, I don't have any nieces. I had one nephew. Died of cancer at 17 years old. And, and I've I believe in healing. I've had family loss that I, I can't even go into. And things have happened and things have turned out I failed at my first church. Listen, there are things that you just didn't understand. But I tell you what, there's a different way to look at things. And if you look at it differently, it can help you keep your confidence. Because here's, here's, the, here's what the first thing. What we see, there's more to this life than what meets the eye. Here's, here's a, a great verse. Paul is writing, he said, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day for our light affliction. I can't believe Paul said that. The stuff he went through, he called it light affliction, which is but for a moment is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal, whoa, whoa, whoa. Back, thank you. Far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So Paul is saying, hey, listen, there's more to this life than what meets the eye. He said the outward, he talked about the outward man and the inward man. The outward man, everybody look at your hands for just a second. Just look at your hands. In 20 years, your hands are going to look different. And I'm not even going to talk about the other parts of you that are going to look different in 20 years. The outward man, as much as we hate to admit it, the outward man perishes. I always lamented the fact that HD screens came in when I was in my 60s, not in my 30s when it looked a whole lot better. But that's life. And the outward man is perishing. You say, well, I'm going to live forever. Mm, not here. The outward man is perishing. The inward man, there is an inward man. You can't see my spirit. I can't see your spirit. But that's an eternal part of us. It's an inward man that will live forever. The things we see here are temporary. 
Just think about it. A hundred years from now, this place will look different. We won't be here, but this place will look different. If it's even here at all, it's temporary. Everything we see around us is changing. It's temporary. There are things in this life we have to understand. There is a spiritual realm. It is a higher realm. And there, there's more to this life than what meets the eye. And so that means we're not going to understand everything. Even the disciples didn't understand everything. Jesus washed their feet. And Peter went, you're not washing my feet. And Jesus said, what I'm doing now, you don't understand. You will later. Jesus told his disciples, I got a lot of things to tell you. You can't handle them now. There are things we're not going to understand and we just have to make sure that we do this. Don't let what you don't understand drive a wedge between you and God. Years ago, I went back to my hometown to start a church. It was a colossal failure. Actually, it wasn't colossal. It only lasted a month. And I realized, big mistake. And we shut it down. Stayed in North Carolina for a while. That's where my parents are from. They were enjoying their grandchildren. And in my heart, I knew in my heart, we prayed about it and God opened a door for us to come back to Texas. Now, I'm just, man, I was, we were so excited to come back. We just sensed this is the plan of God for us, not North Carolina. My home state is beautiful. It's a pretty place. My dad, doesn't, he didn't think there was anything other than North Carolina. The rest of the 49 could go away. He loved that state. And so here's the challenge. Now, both my parents are in heaven now. But when I told them that we were going back to Texas, they never understood it. Even though I told them I really believed in my heart, it was the plan of God. They didn't understand it. Even when they saw the art grow and develop and move from a roller rink to a real building and become a church, they didn't understand it. And it drove a wedge in between our relationship that lasted until they went to heaven. We still loved them, but it changed that relationship. What I'm saying is this, there are things you're not going to understand, but don't throw away your confidence in God. Don't, don't let that drive a wedge. Don't, don't, allow, don't allow yourself to be offended. Say, so, well, what do we do? So, well, we understand there is no other plan. When you come to Christ, you make the decision, that's it. There's no other plan. There's no alternate plan. There's no plan B. So what do you mean by plan B? So in other words, when I, I'm going to be like Peter. Where are we going to go? Where are we going to go? This is where the spiritual life is. This is, well, you know, Alan, I believe there's many paths to God. I believe what Jesus said. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. I believe, I, it, that, he said, well, that's exclusive. Yes, it is. It is very exclusive. But he's the one that said it, and I believe it, and there is no other plan. You say, well, I'm going to go to another religion. Well, let me tell you something about other religions. I've looked at them. I've, I've just done a cursory look at them. You will never find the love, the forgiveness, the help, the strength, the peace, and the hope that we have in Christ. You'll never find them in other religions. You say, Alan, are you criticizing other religions? No, I'm not. I'm just telling you this one works. And this one offers us a hope that no, nothing else offers. Where are you going to go? Where are we going to go? Well, I'm, I'm going to go to science and technology. I love science and technology. I've got everything Apple made. I, I love it. I think it's wonderful. That's great. But let me tell you something. It doesn't offer you. It offers you no hope beyond this life. Science is wonderful. They're starting to replace everything now. My sister had both her hips replaced. Man, my generation, everything, it's a few years, everything's going to be replaced. I just, they just keep... Man, they keep making better and better parts. I'm, I'm going to be bionic by the time I'm 80. I just get, it's, it's going to be awesome. But it offers me no hope beyond this life. Well, how about 
I forget this life. I'm going to go back to partying. Okay. All right. That's going to work for a little while. But I've tried that. And on on the inside, guys, there's never the satisfaction and the joy that comes. So you say, well, what would I do? Burn the ships. What? Burn the ships. In 1519, Cortez was a Spanish explorer. He landed on the Yucatan Peninsula with 500 of his men. They went after Aztec gold. The men did not trust the fact that 500 could over, overtake and win against an Aztec nation. And some of them wanted to take those ships and sail to Cuba. They were, had a conspiracy going. Cortez instructed his men to burn the ships, and they burned them right there on the shore. <laughs> Gave them no plan B. They said, how are we going to get home? He said, we'll have to defeat the Aztecs and take their ships. And that's exactly what they did. When you come to Christ, burn the ships. There's no backing up. There's no contingency plan. There's no plan B. I'm going with Jesus, and that's where I'm going. Because when it's all said and done, he's the only one I trust is the way, the truth, and the life. So we burn it. And here's one thing, and this is on the practical side. Don't give voice to your beliefs. Do what Peter did. Peter said, we believe you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. We believe that. Don't give voice to your doubts and your complaints and your questions. It's not going to help your confidence. It erodes your confidence. In fact, the Bible says that he inhabits the praises of his people, not the complaints of his people. And so by expressing our belief, what we're doing is we're engaging the heart-mouth connection. There's a a powerful connection between heart and mouth. Romans 10.10, it says this. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. In our heart we believe Jesus is Lord and Savior, and we confess that with our mouth. So in the time when you don't understand, instead of going, God, I don't get it, I don't understand, you can, find that's okay. But then don't stop there. Let your next words be, but Lord, I trust you. And Lord, I believe that you are my Lord and my Savior. Lord, I believe you are the good shepherd. I believe you are my strength and my rock and my salvation. I believe you are the one who's redeemed me and you're the one who received me to you. I believe that you are the one and there is no other. I believe you. And by doing that, What you're doing is you're building your confidence. You're not eroding your confidence. I don't think very few people understood the cross. To Jesus' disciples, he was the invincible Jesus, and now they watched him as he hung on a cross. And he's looked so defeated and so vulnerable. They didn't understand. To his enemies, they went and wagged their heads at him. They're doing this, going, hey, you're the son of God. Come down from the cross, and we'll we'll believe you. You're saved others. Why can't you save yourself? He looked like the picture of defeat. But that's because they didn't understand. Because on the third day, he didn't just come down from the cross. He came up from the grave. And his sacrifice there has made all the difference in humanity. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads just for a moment. Now, there's no one looking around. This is just me. If you were here this morning and you say, Alan, I've lost some confidence in God. Some things have happened in my life I I haven't understood. This was for me. You slip your hand up just quickly because I want to pray for you. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you for your honesty. 
put your hands down. We're going to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for those who maybe have lost confidence in you. Things have taken place that they didn't understand. But Father, thank you. You've never stopped loving them. You're not angry at them. Your arms are still open wide. And that confidence can be picked up. If it's been cast out, it can be picked up again. And we can walk close to you. Thank you for that. Thank you for that assurance in their heart. Maybe they've been in the back. It's time for them to move to the front and walk with you again. Now, his heads are still bowed and eyes are closed. If you came this morning and said, you know what, I don't have a relationship with the Lord or I'm not sure that I do. Or maybe you're like I was. I had, had a relationship with the Lord and then I went completely away. And I rec you recognize this morning, man, I've, I've lived way, way too far from God. And I'm coming back. We're going to say a prayer. Again, we're not going to have you stand up or come to the front. But if you're, if you're here, or maybe you're watching online, you're saying, Alan, that's me. I want to know that I have a relationship with the Lord. I want to know that I am back with him. Would you pray for me? We're going to do that. I'm going to ask you to do one thing, though. You should just slip your hand up and say, Alan, that's me. Would you pray for me? I want to make sure in my heart that I know. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You can put your hands down. We're going to pray. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Maybe you didn't lift your hand. You wanted to. That's okay. We're going to pray this prayer with you as a church family. We're going to pray it out loud. If you're here, if you're by yourself or you're watching online, Pray it out loud. If you're with others, pray it quietly. If you're here, pray it with us. We're going to pray to the church family. Say, Dear God, I know mankind needs a Savior. I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. Right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I've said yes to you. Heavenly Father, thank you for those who prayed that prayer. So simple, but so powerful. For the ones who have come to you for the very first time out of spiritual darkness into light. And Father, for those who've come back, we rejoice with them. And Father, for those of us who continue to walk with you, help our confidence in you grow, that we become stronger and stronger, making a difference not just in our lives, but in the world around us. We give you all the praise for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We hope this message has blessed you. We have services every single Sunday at 9 and 1030 and Wednesday nights at 7. We'd love to see you here. Have a great week.